probably the first time and the last time you all ever see me do this. But um, I think it was April 17th. I had a friend text me and say, Terry, you need to think about giving your testimony for to be videoed <clears throat> and um, on Wednesday nights. And, you know, I'm director of women's ministry, so I could do that whenever I wanted to on Wednesday nights. So I said, um, she said, I think it would help people. And I said, I think it probably would too. But I was just like, God, if you want me to do it, you'll have to make it really plain because the world won't quit turning if everybody doesn't hear my testimony. It's my testimony and it's a powerful testimony, but I've come to the conclusion I'm old enough and I'm not that important. And if I need to give it, I'll give it. If I don't, I won't. So I just left it with God. <clears throat> 17 days later, I get a text from Jordan. Terry, will you give your testimony on Mother's Day? And I sent back, yes. <laughs> Jordan is my witness. Yes, period. And that was it. And um, so that's what you're going to hear today is my testimony. I guarantee this will be the most unique Mother's Day that you have ever had. And um, if you have little children, you might want to take them to the nursery. That's why we have nursery. Right, Irene? My sister over there. <laughs> um, a lot of you all know me in here. And you know that I have a lot of love. You know when you come through that door that there's a lot of love flowing out of me to you. Whether I know you or whether I don't. And I feel it too. I feel it coming through me. And I want you to know that that love comes from the throne of heaven. It comes from the water that's coming out from below the throne of God. It's living water. It is not mine. And I dare not ever take credit for it. That would not be me. And <clears throat> we all have a story. Everybody has a story. If you're saved, you have a story of what God saved you from. And I think it's blasphemous not to tell it. And I think it's blasphemous not to tell it in its full, um, full measure, truly what it is. I think we try to hold up a good reputation and we have our dignity and all that kind of stuff. And um, Jesus, we're going to either going to have Jesus or we're going to have our dignity. And I prefer Jesus and let Jesus give me my dignity. <laughs> the first time I ever spoke was about 22 years ago. And I made a lot of notes and all that kind of stuff. And my husband was watching me scramble around trying to do that. And he said, Terry, throw those notes away. He said, just go up there and share your heart. And I said, okay. And I was reading through the Bible and I believe God gave me a word and he gave me the call on my life. And I'm going to read it to you this morning. And I was a 30-year-old woman with three little kids at home. Becca was a year old. Scott was three and Andrew was six. And I was very poor. We were very poor. I didn't have a car. We had one car. Rick drove it to work. Um, I walked around the neighborhood. <laughs> and um, just there was nothing in my life telling me this call would ever come to pass. But I know my God enough to know if he puts a call on your life, he's going to bring it to pass. Just period. If God speaks, it's going to be done. And this is the call he gave me. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand. He touched my mouth and said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms 
And this right here is the crux of the ministry God's given me to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. So if you want to leave, now's a good time <laughs> because you can't unhear what I'm going to say today. And it is going to be convicting. And if I were sitting out there and I were not completely given over to God, this message would probably scare me to death. And the rest of it says, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, Whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. So I'm going to tell you my story. When the first time I ever spoke, I was so terrified to get up and tell the truth about who I really was because I knew there were little old ladies in there and I was sitting at a table with them and I thought my stomach was just hurting because I thought I'm going to get up and have to tell these little old ladies that I was slutty McSlut slut before I got saved and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, little did I know, I've worked in senior living now. There's a lot of slutty McSlut sluts in senior living. <laughs> I don't care if your hair is gray. It doesn't make you any better than the rest of us. Romans 3 is true for you too. There is none righteous. No, not one. I don't care what age you are. People go to their grave that way. I've seen it with my own eyes. But my, my story starts. I was, a, I was a young girl in high school. I was very popular. Um, put a lot of emphasis on my looks. Liked boys a whole lot. But... I had my own little virtue. I was a virgin until I was 19, technically speaking. And some of y'all know what I mean by that. I mean, you can be a virgin and done just about everything in the whole world. But um, that's where I was. At 19, I gave my virginity away. And it was kind of like when you go on a diet, you eat one Oreo, just eat the whole bag. That was the, that was the way my attitude was. It didn't matter. It was gone then. It just didn't matter. And I dated a lot of guys. And once I would get them, I didn't want them anymore until I met my husband, Rick. And my husband was a Marine. He's 10 years older than me. I met him in a club, and I was 19 when I went in there. I had to lie to get in the door because I wasn't even old enough to be in there. I met him. He was 29, and I told him I was 21, never realizing I was going to actually marry him and have to come back and tell the truth. But... Um, he was just hard to get. He just really didn't care that much. You know, he just acted like he could live with me or without me. So I thought, well, I will conquer you and I will have you. So, and, and he was kind of the strong, silent type. And I thought there was just a whole lot up in his head. He was just, you know, having deep thoughts about me. And, um, you know, that, that was just what he was doing, that I was going to delve into the depths of who he was. And we were just going to, you know, sit and gaze in each other's eyes. Well, that did not happen. We got married, and I found out that he was not thinking deep thoughts. He was watching football. He was thinking about what he was going to eat. He was going to the bathroom. He was just doing what guys do, and they're not sitting around thinking about us all the time. I hate to tell everybody. <laughs> and um, so I was 21 at that time, and after being married to him for a little while, I thought, oh, I've made a mistake. I don't want to be married. Look at all the men that are still out there, and they're still looking at me, and I'm still looking at them. So I stayed married as long as I could and saved my reputation, which was about a year and a half. And then I told him I wanted a divorce. And um, I blamed it on him because I had to make sure everybody thought well of me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I wanted everybody to think well of me because there's one person we lie to more than anybody else, and it is ourselves because we have to live in our own skin and think we're good people. So I ruined his reputation, divorced him, immediately got involved with somebody else, 
And this guy was total opposite of my husband. I said, uh, my husband grew up like Beaver Cleaver. Does anybody remember who the Cleavers are? Okay. He grew up, and for you young people, there's probably not anybody on TV like that anymore, so I have nothing to compare it to. <laughs> Y'all wouldn't be watching it probably. Boring is another word for it. And then I started dating this guy. He drove a convertible red Mercedes. He was tall, dark, and handsome, and he cussed like a sailor, drank like a sailor, did drugs, all this stuff. And I was just like, oh, this is exciting. This is awesome. So we started dating. Pretty soon he asked me if I would marry him, and I said yes once our divorces got final. And um, it could have been a Jerry Springer show, no kidding. And um, so he started talking to me because I told him that I had slept with one person. You know, since I had been married, I had to have slept with one because I lied to everybody. I was just a liar. And I would play innocent and all that kind of stuff. And men would believe me. And he believed me too. And he was thrilled to have me. But then once he was around me a little while, once you're around somebody a little while, you start to see their real character so he said, what you're saying to me and who you act like are two different things. He said, who are you really? And you know, at that point, I did not have any idea who I was. I was, in my own mind, whoever I portrayed to be. So he started asking me questions, and I started telling him the truth. And he started talking to me about God. He started to tell me that um, he had some friends that were Christians, and he started talking to me about heaven, and he started talking to me about hell. And it absolutely scared me to death. So I just started getting under what's called conviction. I didn't know what that was at the time. But now, because I wasn't in church or anything, I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. But I started getting under conviction. And the more he talked to me, the more scared I was. And he said, who are you really? And he wanted me to tell him. And I started to actually tell him. And I started to have to actually listen to what came out of my mouth because God was going to save me, and he was starting to purge what was in me out. So I started telling him the truth about myself. And the more I told him, the more mortified I was. And he finally said to me one day, and you got to understand, I was the princess in my little town. Everybody thought I was the greatest thing ever. All the women wanted me to marry their sons. They just, they just didn't know me. I didn't know me. And he said to me, where I come from, they call girls like you a whore. And I said to myself... That's exactly what I am. Because God's hand was on me, and he was getting ready to save me. And you know, God can't save good people. He can only save people that know they need a Savior. So time went on a little bit, and he was in the house with some men one night. They were doing cocaine and drinking, and I went outside because I was sick of them. I was sick of myself. I was sick of everything. And I went outside in October, I think it was of 1987, and I sat on a little step, and I looked up in the night sky, and I said, God, I am nothing but a whore. But if you would just come to me and show me how to find you, I would do anything to be yours. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't really know who God was. I was just a creation looking for her creator. That was all I knew. I didn't know where to go to church. I knew nothing except I was desperate, and I wanted my creator to come to me I went back in the house and they said where have you been and I said outside talking to God I couldn't get a word in here edgewise as I said I was sick of them and I just was so desperate to get to God I would have done anything I went to work the next day that I went to work it may have been two days I don't remember I owned a beauty salon and I walked into my beauty salon I had an appointment that morning a lady walked in 
Her appointment was at 9 o'clock. Her name was Cindy Leverett. She walked through the front door. I was there alone, which was unusual. I had another hairdresser that worked there and an image consultant. <laughs> I needed one of those. Um, she walked in, and she looked at me, and she said, Terry, God told me to come in here this morning and tell you how to be saved. And I said, well, will it take long? And that sounds crazy, but I didn't know what saved me, and I thought it meant the list. You know, put on your white tennis shoes and your bobby socks and your blue jean jumper and put your hair up in a bun. I really didn't know what it meant. So I was expecting her to give me something to tell me what that meant, and I start following some rules, and then maybe somewhere down the line, God would accept me. She sat down with me and said, Terry, do you realize you're a sinner? And I was like, yeah. And she said, Jesus died for you. And she showed me a gulf with a man on one side and God on the other and a great gulf in between that could never be crossed except through the cross of Christ. And she showed that cross and a man walking across it. It was just a little Gideon Bible or something and somebody walking across it and that Jesus made a way. She said, all you have to do is confess your sin and ask him to come into your life and be your savior. And he will. And I was like, okay. I sat in my beauty salon. And I prayed a prayer, and I felt Christ come and lift that weight of sin off of me. And I couldn't believe it. I got up, and I called my mom, and I, I told her what happened. And you would have thought, sorry, Mom, but you would have thought that I had said I've got cancer because I come from a very religious family, and my mom was ruined by religion. And when I said that, it scared her because I had a dad that liked to preach about Jesus all the time. And when I was 15 years old, he shot himself in the head. And our family went through hell because of religion. And so it scared her because what I had told her. And then I told the guy I was dating that I got saved. And he said, you didn't get saved. He said, God might have touched you, but you didn't get saved. And I said, well, then you're taking me to church. So here we went. We went to church that weekend. They gave the altar call. I was slamming out of that place as fast as I could. I slung myself down on the altar. I thought, if it didn't take the first time, I'm coming again. And, um, and I talked to the preacher not long after that. He, we put on, I, I, uh, he talked to me about uh, salvation and then bab getting baptized. And I went down to River. This was in Kentucky. It was in the mountains. I went down to the river, had a white robe on. And he took this, this diva, this harlot, this whore, and he took her and put her down in that water and pulled me back up. And I started going to church. And he started preaching out of the Bible. I didn't know there was an Old New Testament. I knew nothing about the Bible. But he preached out of 1 Corinthians 7, and it said if a woman leaves her husband, she's either remain unmarried or be reconciled. And I was like, whoops. Didn't know that was in there. <laughs> so I started praying and I started saying, God, I'll do anything you want me to. Because the Holy Spirit was in me. I didn't know what any of that meant. I was a brand new baby. And I said, I'll do anything you want me to except go back to Rick. I thought that was very generous of me. And I thought he could choose. I said, I'll go to Africa. I'll do anything you want, but I will not go back to Rick. Now you choose. Because at that point, I'm so self-centered and stupid that I thought God was probably really happy to have me and that now we could take the world by storm because he got somebody cool and, you know, not like those nerdy Christians. And um, <laughs> I had a wrong idea. And, um, you know, I, I just got no answer. And finally, God let me know one night that I was to go back to Rick. 
And I won't go into all that because it would make it too long, and I am on time restraints. And um, so I tried to call Rick, and I couldn't get Rick because I knew God had spoken to me. And I couldn't get him. So I called his boss at the time. His name was Bob Lubell. Never called the man before. Never called him since. I don't even remember how, to, how I had his number. And I called and I said, Bob, this is Terry Broom. I said, have you seen Rick? And he said, uh, no, I haven't. But I might see him later. And I said, if you see him, would you tell him to call me? And I gave him the number where I was. And he said, sure, I will. In the meantime, I went and talked to the preacher. The preacher told me, he said, Terry, you remind me of the woman at the well. And I thought, oh, a biblical woman. <laughs> All you people that know the Bible know who the woman at the well is. I should have said, I perceive thou art the prophet. Because, <laughs> you know, she had five husbands and was living with somebody that she wasn't married to. And I, and I told him while I was there, I said, I know I was divorced, but you've been preaching all your sermons straight to me. Why are you planning around me? And he said, I never knew till this moment you was ever married before. And I was like, so I talked to him, got back home, and tried to call Rick again. He answered. And I said, Rick, I want to come home if you'll forgive me. And he said, I'll forgive anything. Just come home. So the man I was with, who was probably kind of a violent man, he happened to have my car washed that day, so it wasn't at his place. So I was able to get my car and leave basically in the middle of the night, go back to Rick. And I believe that that night I conceived my first son. And I want to tell you something. I could have conceived at any time. But God shut my womb because he knew that someday this woman was going to bring glory to the King of Kings. It had nothing to do with me, nothing to do with me being special or anything else. It was because someday he knew I was going to give him everything and he was going to have a vessel that he could pour his spirit through. Therefore, for his own glory, he protected me. And just so you know, that son is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He works at a Baptist church. Yes, clap. I, hallelujah. My other son is in full-time ministry too, and he works here at this church. I had just said last night, I know. Woo! And if my daughter was a man, she'd be a preacher too. I guarantee it. Um, but I, I said last Saturday, I gave my testimony and I said that if, even if my children were sitting in the audience, I would still give my same testimony. And God called me on that. Hey, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the truth. He's worth it. My children grew up in the power of the spirit of the living God. And I never want them to think that was because their mama deserved anything other than hell what they grew up in and what they experienced, which was really good. I was a good mom to my kids. I'm a good wife to my husband. And the reason is because I've got the Holy Spirit in me who knows how to do things right, and I've given my life to him, and that's it. I have nothing to boast in except my weaknesses, and I will do it every day of my life because I'm addicted to the power of Christ that rests on me, and I would prefer death over not having the power of Christ in my life every day so Rick gets home and I call him or I call him and he answers the phone and he said that and I went back and I truly believe I conceived Andrew that night and we got up to eat breakfast the next morning and he was sitting across from the table from me and he said I was at Bob Bluebell's house when you called he said I was sitting there and we were getting ready to watch football and I didn't, and when he said, Terry, he said, I went like this because he said, I didn't know what you were going to say and I didn't want to cry in front of a bunch of men. 
So while I talked to the preacher, it gave him time to get back home. That's our God. And I used to tell this, and that is such a great testimony. You could make a movie of it, Hallmark, at the end, but that ain't the end. Like Paul Harvey says, let me tell you the rest of the story. Um, after I went back to him, I was on a spiritual high. Remember, I've only been a Christian a little while, and I was on a spiritual high. Well, spiritual high, that didn't last. And then I just, it came, the high came down, and I just thought, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can stay with you. I don't think I really love you again. And I just said, God, you're going to have to choose plan B because I just don't feel like I can do this for the rest of my life. And I left again. Did some things I shouldn't have done, but found out I was pregnant soon after I left. And I called my husband again and said, I'm pregnant. And he said, you can come home. I have a Hosea for a husband. If any of you know who that is in the Bible, you may not see him here a lot, but he is the greatest man I have ever known in my entire life. God would lay down my life for him. I love him so much. <laughs> After going back to him, the joy of the Lord was gone because of sin. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't think I could be honest. So I just decided that I would cover it up. And that God would just have to deal with me the way I was. And in misery, I packed my bags, went back home and thought, this is it. Life's going to be terrible. And I'm just going to have to be married and not really feeling it. So quickly, we had one, two, and three kids. At this point, I'm in full-blown legalism because I said, God, you're just going to have to use me as I am because I can't be honest. You're going to have to just deal with it. And I found out that he is the king of kings. He is God Almighty. He does not make deals like that. He is holy, holy, holy. And if you're not going to give yourself to God, he is not going to give himself to you. So I just went through legalism and misery. I homeschooled my kids. I made sure they behaved wonderfully. I tried to make Rick behave wonderfully. I tried to make the neighborhood behave wonderfully. I thought the church was my responsibility. I had the entire world on my shoulders because legalism is nothing but rules and it is death. And I drove straight into it after having such an amazing thing happen to me with God. I drove straight into legalism because you either walk in the spirit or you're going to walk in the power of your flesh. And this flesh can do nothing. All it does is behave and then get mad at everybody else for not noticing. And it wants to be praised all the time. It's just, it is a load to bear. That's why Paul said, who will deliver me from this body of death? So fast forward. I didn't hear from God for seven years. And I, I go to this sermon and I, at my church it was revival. And I hear a man named Bill Stafford. Bill Stafford gets up there and starts preaching. I had never heard anybody preach like this man. He had freedom like I had never heard in my life. He told the truth about himself. He said, Bill Stafford doesn't care if everybody in here goes to hell. Jesus does, and he's living in me. I mean, it was just incredible. He said, there's no big shots or little shots. We all ought to be shot. <laughs> and it was just amazing. And he just funny and crying. And I would just... 
God in me recognized the freedom of Christ in that man. And I said, God, I want that. I went home and I thought, I've been in revival. And, and I started reading my Bible a little bit because, you know, I'd listen to Christian songs and go to church. But I wasn't going to read the Bible because to read this Bible means you're looking in the face of God. And I could not do that. It was too hard. It was easier to look at people than look at God. So I went home and I found a scripture, though he slay me. Yet I will hope in him. And I took that for my life verse. And I thought, I've been revived. And though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That was just, I was just kind of a dramatic person anyway. And I put it up in my window. And I thought, that's my verse. And not long after that, I went to a Bible study. I got invited. It, several miracles happened that I don't have time to go into. But I got invited to a Bible study. And it was called, What Happens When Women Pray? And I got to chapter 3, and it said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 17, I think it is. And I read that chapter, and it talked about pride. And it talked about secret sins. And it talked about all the junk that was in my life. And it said, If this is you, God is not listening to you. This stuff has to go. Well, when I read that, I thought, Well, my life's over. What am I going to do? And it scared me so bad because I knew I had all this junk in my life and I had absolutely no power in my life and I had three little kids. And I'm going to tell you the mental picture I had in my head because my three little kids were idols to me. I loved them so much that I would have done anything for them. They were the only thing I loved more than I loved my reputation and me. And when I saw that and I thought, you mean, God, that nothing I'm doing is counting towards eternity and my prayers for my kids, which I didn't pray very much because I was afraid to talk to God as a Christian. And I thought, that means that someday I'm going to be a Christian standing before Jesus Christ. And I may look around and see Andrew Scott and Becca go straight into hell. Because I was not willing to give you everything in my life so that they could live in the presence of the power of the living God. So that scared me so bad. That I went to God and, and I said to God, I just, it was as if I took the horns of the altar and I said, God, do whatever you got to do, but break me and make me real. I don't care what it costs me. I've got to get to you and I've got to have the spirit of God flowing through me. I want them to know that when their mama hits their knees, that I've got the ear of heaven. And so I started to pray and as I started to pray, I started just making a list, and there were some things I had to do. I had stolen money as a teenager to go to a Van Halen concert from the place I worked. So I saved up. I'm a stay-at-home mom, remember, with no money. I started squirreling away money, and I wrote a letter to the person who owned that, uh, that cinema where I worked. My little brother was the assistant manager at the time. I don't know if you ever read it. But anyway, I sent a letter and told them what I had done. And then I went into the Bible study. We were talking to each other and it said, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. And I got teamed up with a lady. And while I was teamed up with her, I told her what I had done about writing that letter because there were some other things I was real scared about. And one of them was that as a business owner, I had cheated on my taxes. I, I took the cash off and just listed the checks. So, and I was very scared of that because I had a one-year-old still nursing. And I thought, I'll go to jail if I tell that I've cheated on my taxes. 
So I sat down with her, and um, I said, you know, we were confessing stuff to each other. And I said, well, I had to write a letter because I stole some money from a place where I worked growing up. And she said, oh, Terry, honey, that's great. She said, they'll just receive that. She said, my Sunday school teacher had to write a letter to the IRS and tell them that they cheated on their taxes. (laughs) I was like, I did that too. Of all people to get uh, teamed up with, that was the one I got teamed up with. So I went home and I started praying. I was like, okay, Lord, do I have to do that? Because I was still scared to do that. And I heard somebody else preach. And while he was preaching, I thought, God, am I even saved? What if I write that and you're not even with me? So I started even doubting my salvation. I was like, are you really even there for me? And I had started reading my Bible after I, saw, after I got in that Bible study. So I was this far through it. Y'all see, I finally started reading it. And that morning I got up and I was, I was just doubting myself. Everything, you know, you want Jesus with you if you're going to call Uncle Sam. <laughs> so this is what I read that morning when I got up. It said, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things they have stolen They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites, or Terry, cannot stand against her enemies. She turns her back and runs because she has been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore until you destroy among you whatever is devoted to destruction. I read that, shut my Bible, and I thought, I wish God would answer me. (laughs) I went on a walk, and as I turned the corner, God's Spirit took that word and made it real to me. And I knew that I was hearing from the living God. I was in big fat trouble. But he spoke to me for the first time really in seven years. So it gave me courage to come home and start writing letters. So I I prayed about the IRS. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me a name and an address. Because I can't just go off right into the IRS USA. You know, I just kept thinking, surely he can't get a name and an address. I mean, God knows a lot, but surely he doesn't know anybody that works at the Internal Revenue Service. I go through some old records of ours, and I pull out a piece of paper, and it says, Problem Res- Internal Revenue Service, Problem Resolution Office, Attention, Mary Lou Austin. And I said at that moment, my fear of Uncle Sam melted in the presence of the Almighty. I sat down and I wrote a letter to Mary Lou Austin, whoever she is. Maybe she'll hear this someday. Um, And I wrote her a letter and quoted Deuteronomy and all kinds of stuff and told her there. I said, you can imagine her going, (laughs) y'all, come here. (laughs) Look at this. (laughs) I made no excuses and told her and did some other little things that God had shown me because when you're going to become one with white hot holiness the junk inside of you is just going to become real apparent to you and Jesus paid for all my sins on the cross but I walked in a lot of pride and this was my path to humility my sin was not the problem at that point my pride was the problem so I went to God and asked him some other things I wrote some other letters I got up on the last morning the last night before I really broke through with God, I knew I was going to have to go to my husband and tell him the truth about everything that had ever happened. And I said to God while I laid in my bed, I said, Oh God, I don't, I'm a stay-at-home mom. What if he leaves me? And I felt God say, 
what if he does? Am I enough? I said, I don't know. Can you take care of me? I just didn't know. And I laid in that bed, and it hurt so bad inside. The thought of looking in my husband's eyes and telling him things and looking at my mother and father-in-law and telling them some things. And I said to God, I said, God, you're killing me. And he said to me, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. He gave me a scripture because he knew that he was getting ready to kill me so that he could raise me up in power. So I said to him, at least I don't have to get up in the morning and be put on a cross naked, not deserving it, and hang there. And I said to him, the best I knew how to say, because I was dying in that moment, I said, not my will, but thy will be done. I did not realize it, but at that moment, this girl right here fell to the ground and died. Because I got up the next morning, I went and talked to my husband, and he said, Terry, stop. You don't have to tell me another thing. I forgive you for everything you've ever done, and don't ever come to me again. Praise God, he said it. I'd probably still be going, Rick, one more thing. <laughs> and, and after all that finished, I talked to my friend, Theresa, and I said, Theresa, there's something else I've lied about. She said, Terry, you don't have to tell everybody. Just don't lie about it anymore. I said, Theresa, are you sure this is you or God? Because I am getting to God, and nothing's going to stop me. She said, no, it's God. And just like Abraham had the knife up and he was ready to kill his Isaac, I was going to do. It was done. That night, it was done. I didn't care what it cost me. I was going to have my God if I had nothing else in this world. If I went to jail, I thought I would rather be in jail and be free in my spirit than be in my home and be in this jail that I'm living in. Whatever it costs, God, you can have this woman. So I dropped my knife, spiritually speaking, and I went out to play with my kids. And on that day, Sometime during that day, God rained down a spiritual shower on me where I could hardly sleep for three days. I had to put my hands up and say, God, I may die of this joy, but please don't quit. And I'm going to tell you something. When Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle, it said he finished the work. And when he did, the Shekinah glory of God fell on that temple to where the people could not even enter. That's what's happened to me that day. And to the best of my ability, I will crawl across glass or fire. I am going to walk in the Shekinah glory of God for the rest of my life. I want you to hear this devotional and I'm done. Cracking fingers setting free. I had been a Christian about six years when I realized that a substantial portion of my ambition was permeated by pride. I had my own ideas about what success in the ministry ought to be like, and the Lord confronted me about it, and He asked, Are you willing to let me take your life and spend it the way I please? What are you going to do with it? I asked Him. Quietly, He responded, You don't trust me, do you? Well, it's not that I don't trust you, but if you'll help, it would help if you'll tell me what you plan to do with my life. No, I'm not going to tell you my plans. You will never know full freedom until you look me in the face and say, God, you can do what you please with me. And so I tried to look him in the face and give him my full self. What's that on the corner of your life, he asked. It's my thumb. Can I keep a finger on my life? No. If you're going to turn it loose, you have to take all fingers off. I tried to remove the finger from my life, and I found I could not. You see, it's only by his grace we are ever set free. So finally, I looked up and said, God, can you take that finger off? you let me crack it hard enough and long enough I can we'll start cracking I said terrified 
At that point, I quit kneeling and I found myself flat on my face before God and slowly he began to set me free. There's a power in the cross that can set us free from the tyranny of self-interest that either contaminates or controls our lives. And then you'll be one with God. And that oneness is real freedom.